Ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the chart spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex, and I apologize to anyone who listened last week. Our audio issues were uh, apparent. I was receiving uh, text messages from friends. I didn't even have the... I didn't people have the go texted you about it? Yeah. Believe it or not, people who I know in my personal life listen to this <laughs> buffoonery. It's like as if they don't hear about Nebraska football enough in their own time. But luckily, we've gone to the powers that be, the big dogs at 247 Sports, who have given us some ideas as to hopefully how this will sound better. By now, we'll know whether it works or not. Doug Bowman, Matesis, do you think we can make it happen? I hope so. I just want to say that you couldn't hear me last week, but everything I said was correct, and everything that I said happened, and you guys just missed a lot of really good content. But hopefully this is better. Matei, the people thought you know, their week couldn't get worse ever after hearing that poor audio quality, <laughs> and then the game happens. <laughs> how, how are you taking it? What a transition. I mean, <laughs> that game was tough. We covered it all here. I think we were all in agreement. We saw West Virginia winning that game. Uh, I think what the most frustrating part about that game was that Virginia Tech just, it was a slew of errors. The offense couldn't get going. I have a lot to say about the offensive performance. I thought defensively, for the most part, they did a good job, but I mean, they just shot themselves in the foot time after time. And again, it was just so frustrating because it seemed like midway through the third quarter, maybe a bit before then, there was still a chance. Like Virginia Tech was still in that game. And then it just completely unraveled everything that could have gone against Virginia Tech did. And it's not like it was bad luck. It was veterans on the team, guys that you counted on making mistakes. Uh, the defense was on the field way too long uh, and started giving up points. And then we all knew the story of the offense going into the game that, you know, the defense had to hold West Virginia to an impossible below 30 points uh, for the offense to have a chance. But the offense didn't get more than one touchdown the entire night. Um, so all across the board, West Virginia, all the stats will favor them. And ultimately, it was just it was a tough game to watch, knowing the stakes that went into it, knowing it's probably the last installment of the Black Diamond Trophy, and that was the performance we got out of it, you know, a 23-point loss. Yeah, and I guess we can start off with the defense here, because like you mentioned, Matei, the game was going to be a measuring stick for a defense that had performed among the top in the country in the three games prior. And we mentioned keeping them under 30 points, and really the, the defense technically did keep them under 30 points. I believe 28 points allowed by the defense. 
looking back, it was one of those games where the defense didn't play terribly, but it also dispelled any notion that this is going to be some sort of elite defense that's going to go down in Virginia Tech history as one of the best ever. Now, to be fair, I think the people that were out there suggesting that after just three games against three pretty abysmal offenses are getting way ahead of their skis. I gotta ask you guys, like after what we saw in that performance against a high flying offense where they did hold West Virginia to a lower scoring output than West Virginia tends to put on a week to week basis. But it wasn't necessarily inspiring either. Where do we stand with this defense right now? It's a decent bunch. Uh I think Andrew, you covered it pretty pretty well. I mean, this isn't a world beater. There's no you know, back in the mid two thousands, Tex offense, Tex offensive line in particular, was 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 as inconsistent or ineffective as this one is, and they were still winning ten games. You know, because they had the likes of Xavier DB and Brandon Flowers, Macho Harris on on the defensive side of the ball, and were a true shutdown defense. This is probably a top forty defense, top fifty maybe if it, it if a couple you know, games don't go their way, but um, this is not a top 20, top 15 shutdown defense that can overcome what the offense has to, what the offense can give them each week. Um, I think we saw that against West Virginia, uh, 20, what was it? 28 points. He said they gave up um, as a, as a defense, CJ Donaldson looked like West Virginia finally decided to give him the ball as much as possible. Um, Tech held Bryce Ford Wheaton to three catches for 23 yards. That was the guy that we talked about all week. Um, so they did a good job on him. And that's even with losing Dorian Strong for the second half. So, you know, the defense is about where I'd expected it after the first couple weeks. Um, we weren't sure what we were going to get going into the season. I think their first three weeks were good enough to give them some credit. Uh, but they're, they're, they're just not good enough. Um, to make up for the shortcomings of the offense, at some point, opponents are gonna are gonna score two, three, four touchdowns, um, and that's just the way it is. And Virginia Tech's offense has got to find a way to give the defense some help um, and, and score some points, so that you know a you know a twenty or twenty one point performance from the defense isn't a loss. Um, but that but that's certainly the way it's looking right now. So taking a look at uh, the big names on defense, you know, we'll start with Dax Hollyfield. Narelle Pollard is in this category as well. These are guys who, through those first three games, were playing out of their mind, putting up pro football-focused grades like they had never had before in their career. And it seemed like West Virginia was sort of a trip back to reality for those guys. Where do we stand now? Is it time to cool the Jets? and say, okay, maybe Dax Hollyfield is not going to be in All-America. Well, I look at this game, and I know Doug was saying, like, top 50, top 40, and I do agree with that. I think you kind of have to give some of the players a pass in this game, and I know that sounds a, a bit peculiar, but when you just look at the game script and what happened and all the penalties, I mean, the absurd amount of time that West Virginia had the ball. They had it for 38 minutes and scored two touchdowns. I thought they played well. Like I, I, I did think this defense held up and it was just a matter of they got gassed. Like 
there was the bad play where Dax Hollyfield was um, covering, I think it was Sam James or whoever the slot wide receiver was at the end of the first half and kind of got picked off. Like it looked like West Virginia kind of found their rhythm late in the second quarter for what the plays to call. Um, and there were some instances like that. And obviously the late hit where, yeah, Dax Hollyfield probably shouldn't have been in that position. But overall, when you look at his performance this year, I think he's been playing a step above what he was last year. And I expect that to continue. I think Norrell Pollard, kind of the same thing. I think he's he's kind of had a quiet in a good way performance this year um, where he's he's making enough plays or doing enough things right. Um, and then unfortunately, you notice him on the night because of that face mask penalty. Um, so overall, I think, you know, a bunch of the veterans have been playing well. The defense has been playing well, but it's never going to be a recipe for success when you're facing a top 15 offense that has the ball for 38 minutes. You, you can't seem to get off the field at all. You know, the offense was the worst factor for this defense, the Virginia Tech offense. So I give them a pass for this game. I still think that, you know, if they play at a top 40 level and they can figure out the offense, They'll have a chance to win some games, but um, I don't think you can expect much more out of this group, and I don't think um, they're going to fall far below what they showed against West Virginia, which wasn't that bad. Doug's got nothing to add to that, apparently, and that's fair. But, Doug, he, he mentions the penalties, and for the second time this season, in as many losses, the penalties just constantly plagued Virginia Tech, a comedy of errors if you will. This was not something that we ever saw with Justin Fuente's teams, to be fair. And I don't know if you chalk it up to youth and experience. Maybe it can't because it's not just the young dudes who are getting the flags thrown against them. Is there, a, is there an explanation for this new system? Or is it just a lack of discipline? I, I thought Pride covered it. I think it was in his post game, maybe it was Monday, where he said his guys are pressing a little bit. So that's certainly a surprise given that, you know, we've talked about it, Pollard and, and Hollyfield and Connor and Kendricks, all those guys. There's a lot of experience on this team and they, they should not be pressing at this point of their careers for the most part. Definitely a concern. I think it's a concern that, uh, concern might be the wrong word, but it, it is something you can nitpick on Brent Pride to not have like like a punishment in place for for penalties. Um, I don't think that's a new a new thing in college football or football in general to to have that um, to kind of hold players accountable for that. Now they're putting it putting it in this week, so maybe that's a first year head coach thing. Uh, but two times in uh, four games to have that happen, I think that's a big concern going forward. Uh, this is not a team that can afford penalties in those numbers and be able to overcome them and win games. They they have to play um, a pretty much perfect game, especially on offense. Um, but you know, but then the defense stays on the field with some dumb penalties there, and that and that hurts the offense as well. So, you know, the margin for error is slim and certainly does not include fifteen penalties. Um, so we'll see if they can get that cleaned up and. In ACC play, I I don't know whether it's it's trending towards being a trend, but but we're still 
kind of in a small sample size here of four games. Like Tech might go the next five or six games without a big penalty issue, um, but we'll see. When we did our MVP votes this week, it was a challenging one on the defensive side of the ball because you know it wasn't an abysmal defensive performance, and I think that it's about what you could have expected, right? And I, I think that maybe. We all probably expected them to do a little bit worse. We were kind of all in that 35-17 final score range. Essentially allows for a poor-ish defensive performance compared to what we've seen from Virginia Tech so far that year. It ends up being a little bit better than that, given that seven of those points fall directly on the arm of Grant Wells. Not the defensive problem there. But no one necessarily stood out. So... When you made those defensive MVP picks or that defensive MVP pick, what was going through your head? You know, where can you find a bright spot in a game that was, uh, you know, certainly lacking for them? I can speak for my own pick, but I think heading into the game, the biggest, the biggest story or the biggest threat to Virginia Tech's defense was going to be JT Daniels, um, Prather, Ford Wheaton, um, you know, I was expecting kind of them to have much bigger nights than they ended up having. And I think, you know, I immediately went to Breon Murray, um, who matched up against both Ford Wheaton and Prather and only and held both of them actually to one catch for 12 yards. So I actually thought he had a really strong game. He had two pass breakups. There was one where it seemed like he could have had an interception on a shot to Prather down the sideline. Um, ultimately, I think that drive ended up in a touchdown because he didn't hold on to the ball. But looking at the cornerback performance, like Dorian Strong, I know he had that fumble recovery from Jalen Stroman. Um, I thought they held the receivers in check. Like it, it was more so the other guys in the front seven that, you know, it was the West Virginia running game kind of extending the drives and, JT Daniels did enough and the wide receivers did enough. But ultimately, I think if there's going to be a takeaway for where you're sort of impressed, it's that the cornerback trio um, of Strong, Murray, and Chapman held their own against really talented wide receivers for West Virginia. It's an interesting point, Matei. And I, I think that, you know, as we look at almost every game that Virginia Tech's played this year, and of course, you know, taking a look at Wofford, there wasn't really anyone who stood out among the bunch. But when we previewed Old Dominion, it was Zach Coates. Tech shuts him down. When we previewed Boston College, it was Zay Flowers. Yeah, he still got his, but he didn't have the dominant performance that he was capable of. And then going to West Virginia, it's Bryce Ford Wheaton. The story's the same. Virginia Tech has done a good job of somewhere between erasing and limiting that number one target on offense for the opponents. But, you know, in the cases of both Old Dominion and West Virginia, a combination of shooting yourself in the foot and lack of offensive output on the other side makes that effort you know, somewhat in vain. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And Tech's done a good job against some really good wide receivers. Uh, got another one coming up this week in Josh Downs from North Carolina. But, um yeah, I, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Derek Jones, the cornerbacks coach, for what he's been able to do um, with his guys. 
in year one. Uh, like I like I said earlier, Dorian Strong missed half that game against West Virginia, and they still kept the lid on Bryce Ford Wheaton. So um, I I think that's probably what Mate was saying. That was probably the the encouraging part of of the game. Um, I think I picked Garbit for the defensive for the MVP. I, Matei said, I think he said you were sort of impressed with the defense, which I think is a good uh, moniker for that. So I picked the guy who had the one sack and tied for the team lead in stops. Um, I didn't think anybody particularly stood out, but um, you know, Matei has me convinced. That was a good that was a good argument there. You know, a little hat tip to Breon Murray and the and the defensive backs for for their work. Um, like I said, though, there's a lot more work to be done this week. Yeah, to be fair, I just picked Jaden Keller because we've been waiting for Jaden Keller to have a day since we heard about him almost. And, you know, there hadn't been a, a moment where he stuck out. And I wouldn't say the West Virginia game was a moment where he stuck out, but he went out there. He was certainly not the reason that, you know, he played better than average, which for a super young guy, like Jaden Keller, who had all that hype coming in, yeah, that's a, a positive revelation. So he was he was sort of impressive. Sort of impressive. Yeah, I mean, Breon Murray was also sort of impressive. <laughs> like, no, no one. That's the thing. No one was overly impressive. Where you know, between between Dax against Old Dominion Boston College, Taiwan Garbit against Boston College, those guys were were showing out. You left with a defensive player in your mind that you were going to walk away from the game remembering that performance. You're not walking away from Virginia Tech's loss against West Virginia remembering anything except for shame and disappointment and a bunch of penalties being called. I guess we can uh, transition to the offense here. We'll touch a little bit more on the defense in a few minutes when we look ahead to North Carolina this week. The Virginia Tech's offense, not very good. Hope is not a strategy, my friends. Not sort of impressive. Not can't go that far. Definitely disappointing. <laughs> yes. Not very impressive. Not impressive at all. Disappointing. Hope is not a strategy. And I see a lot of fans, even some pundits, out here hoping that one day, especially, you know, against West Virginia on the day that matters the most to everyone, at least so far into the season, it's all going to click. It's all going to come together. Virginia Tech's going to have this high-flying, fire-powered offense that just does not seem to be the reality in 2022. You know, I, I think Evan did a service to the fans that was not accepted by many during the offseason when he just showed the grades, the high school recruiting grades, Every player that starts for Virginia Tech, it's like one of the lowest in Power 5 on average. King's the only four-star. Yes, stars don't matter because there can be exceptions to rules. But in mass, it tends to tell a bit of a story in the long run. And Virginia Tech's playing like a, you would expect a bunch of low three-stars to play. Kind of is what it is, right? Yeah, there's there's something going on with the offensive line. Um I, I didn't expect them to be that this poor, um, to struggle this much. But uh, part of me kind of thinks we should have. Silas Janzi is a guy that never played left tackle, been considered probably better at guard than tackle. Now he's anchoring, anchoring the left side of the line. Johnny Jordan, 
another guy that we've talked about as a key player on the offensive line. He's a sixth-year guy who started for Maryland and Virginia Tech to mediocre football teams over the last six years. Um, Caden Moore and Parker Clements have not taken the steps forward they, that they needed to. Um, and then we had no idea what was just what was going what what Jesse Hansen was going to give us this year. Uh, I think part of it is definitely the transition to Joe Rudolph and a new system. You can see that on several plays throughout the game where they just don't execute even from the snap. You know, it goes it goes haywire right at the snap, and that's definitely uh indicative of guys that aren't quite sure what they're supposed to be doing at this point which is which is a big problem and i think that's my you know you look at the snap counts for anybody but the starting five through four weeks and it's just been the starting five and i guess there's an argument that they need to play through it and get experience and eventually click but um i think i would have played some other guys by this point um braylon moore I you know I I suppose there is a chance that this means that Virginia Tech's backup offensive line is absolutely atrocious and is and is not ready to play no matter what just like Virginia Tech's first string could continue to struggle all year and they're just not ready to play I guess there's a chance of that um, but I think you'd want to see it I think you'd want to put some other players in the game at least a little bit. Um, to test it out, to try and find something, you know, you're, we're through four weeks of doing the same thing for four quarters and it not being effective. Um, and it seems like they're going to run him back out again this week. So, you know, I, I look at it as a, a missed opportunity there through the first four weeks to get other guys in the game. You know, we talked about that Boston college game when it was over and Silas Janzi still in the game as a, with four minutes to go. Um, Walford, that game was wrapped up for about 30 minutes there and and they were still playing the top offensive line. I think that's a big, I think that was one of the biggest mistakes for Gene Tech's coaching staff made this year was not playing more guys on the offensive line. You know, no matter what, you know, you need to establish with that top. Number one, you're not going to make it through the season with just five guys. Um, Number two, they're not any good or they haven't been playing well. And, I think at a certain point you owe it to the rest of the team and the guys on the team that you try somebody else. You know, we saw William Kakavitsas get dropped from the depth chart pretty quickly. That wide receiver, Christian Moss rises up, guys like that, but that doesn't happen on the offensive line. That's clearly the big concern with this offense going forward. If they don't get the offensive line sorted out or playing better, there's there's little hope that they're going to have an off offense capable of winning many games. It maybe even one. I think Georgia Tech is probably the only one you feel com- confident about right now, maybe Liberty, but um, there's certainly a lot of work to be done. I just want to add a couple things here. One, you mentioned like there hasn't been a lot of movement. I do appreciate the staff for every week. They do make some changes to the depth chart. They keep things fresh, but the only change this week for the offensive line and the offense in general was Brody Meadows, his backup right guard, uh, instead of Danielle Militich. So I just want to read out a couple things because I you, you mentioned a couple things and you were saying, you know, guys taking steps forward. And I think the biggest thing with this group that's been disappointing when you bring in a Joe Rudolph and you have a Tyler Bowen who, you know, he's coaching tight ends in the pros that have to be able to block for the offense to succeed. 
when you look at Virginia Tech, I think they've been somewhat serviceable in pass pro. But when you look at their run blocking grades per PFF, Caden Moore, who I think we all like dubbed one of the best run blockers on the team, has a 54.0 this year. Jesse Hansen, granted, hasn't played, you know, meaningful snaps before this year, has a 53. Parker Clements, 45.1 in run blocking. Johnny Jordan, perhaps the best of the starting five, at 56.5. And then Silas Danzi at 56.1. Also the tight ends, Nick Gallo, 37.7. Drake DeLulis, 39.7. And Connor Blumrick, although an offensive weapon and former quarterback, so I don't put all this on him, has a 40.4. So across the board, you're under 60. You have terrible grades for this unit that I think we all came to understand that it could be an average unit. The starting five could be solid enough. But when you look at these run blocking grades, it's not even average. It's like all these guys have regressed. All these guys seemingly can't even block when it comes to running plays. And I think that's the biggest problem. Like it's not the pass pro, whatever. It's nobody has a positive grip. There's no angle on this offensive line where you can look and say, okay, you know, instead of running right, we can run left because this guy's a higher graded guy. It's everyone has taken a step back. Yeah. I think the biggest disappointment has got to be that right side of the offensive line, Clements and Moore. Uh, two guys that have played a ton, or at least Moore has played a ton. Clements played a lot last year. Um, and, and just no development, backwards development. Little development of that. I'd try Bob Schick at right tackle at this point. Um, I, I think that's that's something that, like I said, should have happened at some point during the first three games, four games. Now we're in we're into game five now, and, and you know I highly doubt Virginia Tech is going to trot out a new offensive line at North Carolina in week five. But um, those two on the right side, you know, you were hoping they were going to take a step forward where you could then count on them for the next two years as your anchors. And, you know, this is something we talked about in the preseason. You evaluate the season, try and get the six, seven wins, whatever, but you're constantly keeping an eye on, like, what the next team looks like and what the core of that next team looks like. Janzi and Johnny Jordan are gone after this year. Jesse Hansen, I don't think you're going to count him as an anchor of an offensive line. And then and then Moore and Clements were your guys that were going to you were going to build around up front. And I think if you're looking at 2023 offensive line, looking ahead, like there's nobody that you would pencil in there next year. And that's a big problem. People are so surprised about the poor output of this offense. And, you know, to many people I'm saying, I told you so. I never figured this offense was going to be very good. Pessimistic Andrew. There he is. I mean, pessimistic <laughs> One guy Andrew. from the board is coming after you right now. Pessimistic Andrew has been pretty correct so far. But people say, you know, even coming at me, a pessimist going into the season. And by the way, it's not that pessimistic. It's year one. Like, do you really expect them to go like nine and three? I hope you don't apply for a new job because you're not going to pass the drug test. But. Nonetheless, Andrew, you know, you were so pessimistic, but why didn't you think the offense was going to be that bad? It's because we thought, you know, the, the running theory was, at least when healthy, there were some knowns on this offensive line. Some guys that had 
been out there and been serviceable at a minimum in the past. And in the case of a Caden Moore and a Parker Clemens, they've been pretty good. And they're so young that you figured that by inserting a Joe Rudolph into that scenario, there would be a bump. And what you have gotten is quite the opposite. You use the word development, Doug. They haven't developed. They've gotten worse. Everyone's gotten worse. They're playing worse than they did before. Does that mean that it's going to necessarily stay like that forever? I like to think not. Because when you have a any sort of sample size of people performing at a level, you like to hope, at least in college, that they can get back there. But right now, a group that we said Virginia Tech can be sort of competitive if the offensive line stays healthy and they are, you know, we kind of figured they'd be a middle of the ACC unit. No, no one expected dominance. But they seemed like a middle of the ACC unit with some upside with a new coach and, uh, you know, a lot of room for growth. And so far, that's been the biggest surprise. I mean, the wide receivers are kind of what we thought they were going to be. Grant Wells is who, if you evaluated who he was at Marshall, is pretty much that. This line, it's, it's challenging. And, and you know, you, you don't want to put all the blame on them, but it's certainly the biggest disappointment of the year so far. Yeah, no development from the guys you expected to. Um, and I think, I think some of that can be attributed to the new offensive scheme, new coach, you know, new plays, all that stuff. That's certainly what some of it looks like on some plays where that, you know, like I said, they just get blown up immediately because somebody doesn't block the guy right in front of them. Um, or, or the, or the, <laughs> who as a Diablo fan shares on the, the clip on Twitter of, of, uh, Clements and somebody else just, just like ignoring the guy in front of them. That's clearly a not understanding the call or something like that scenario that is probably due to being in the coaching staff, which I think is a an indictment of Joe Rudolph. I, I think that's, you know, he came in and had a spring. Um, he had a summer where the NCAA changed the rules to allow him to work more only a couple hours a week, but you got more time this summer than you ever have before. Um, and, and then a full August. And now he's had four games for guys that have played a decent amount of college football to, to regress like that. I think that's a big, you know, an indictment of, of his coaching, not his coaching ability. He's obviously a really good offensive line coach and has the track record to back it up, but his coaching job so far this year, um, can he turn it around? Maybe the maybe the light goes on. Maybe maybe it takes six games for these guys to get comfortable and, and you know, you see some steady improvement down the stretch. I think that's what Virginia Tech is hoping for and would be really encouraged by. But um through four games and heading into game five, I think that's a you know that's one of the things that I don't think you I don't think the coaching staff deserves a pass on. Are we ready to uh act as some fans are and assume that the idea that Grant Wills is going to be the quarterback of the next three years here at Virginia Tech is an idea that needs to be thrown out the window. Dude's got some zip. He's had his moments, but it seemed like Twitter has just been a highlight reel of some pretty egregious misses on his end. And granted, the offensive line's not playing great, and that's not going to help any quarterback, especially when you don't have the most talented wide receiving core in the nation, but 
I'll ask you this. Like, is he falling below your expectations to this point? I'd say he's falling below uh, what I thought going in. He's not falling below what I thought after that ODU game. He's about what he, I expect after after seeing him in person or seeing him live for that first time um, against Old Dominion. Um, I'm not ready. I'm not there yet on, like, definitely not the guy for 2023 and 2024. I think, you know, we just talked about the offensive line for a while. It's hard to play quarterback with that kind of offensive line. Um, that's led to a anemic running game. It's hard to play quarterback without, you know, any kind of of ground game. So I think I'm still on the fence with Grant Wells in terms of his long-term future as Virginia Tech's quarterback. Um, if they can get a better running game going, I think that makes his job easier and maybe maybe allows him to succeed a little more. Um, and and then I also think like those deep ball passes that they missed against West Virginia, um, I think he's going to hit on those eventually. I, I don't think that's a. I don't think he's always going to throw the ball out of bounds when Dewan Lofton's streaking wide open down the sideline because the defensive back fell down. Like, you know, I see that part of the game getting better. Um, I feel I I I think that can improve, and I think if he gets a running game going, we'll see a a chance for an improvement for him. I don't know if he's ever going to be the top end guy that, you know, maybe you don't recruit over, you don't bring in a portal to compete with him kind of guy. But um, I'm certainly not out. I'm not completely out on Grant Wells as the quarterback of the future there. Matei, you calling for Blumrick? <laughs> not at this point, but I know that <laughs> there's a lot of people calling for Jason Brown right now. And I really don't see the situation getting much better. Uh, no matter who you put in at quarterback, like we're harping on the offensive line first. I think Grant Wells has disappointed by some expectations in terms of what he can be, but he's not the sole issue of this offense. I think the problem is no matter which room you look at, there is a problem and there is no solidified, you know, outside of, of, maybe Smith, there's no clear-cut way to move forward. you got to hope that the offensive line learns how to run block again. You have to hope that Malachi Thomas can make people miss and that him and Keyshawn King will create a tandem. And from there, Wells will you know gain some more confidence, have some more open space, and Virginia Tech won't be as one-dimensional. You know, you can't run 18 times for 35 yards and, you know, expect Grant Wells to throw 35 times and have a lot of success. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty given what Virginia Tech had to do to win the game. And they were put in that position to, to throw the ball from behind, you know, midway through that third quarter. Um, I think he has a lot of tools, which you like out of a quarterback. But again, it's like those frustrating moments where, you know, he's firing a check down at 120 miles per hour uh, where, you know, Jalen Holston, not the most talented pass catcher, has to jump three feet into the air to catch it. You know, it's like situations like that where I get frustrated with Wells. But overall, I think, you know, as time goes on, it'll get better. But certainly I think the staff will evaluate that position. You always have the transfer portal. 
you never know what sort of top guy is entering in there. And, you know, with all their Penn State contacts, if a four star will be available next year. Um, so you're, you always have to like evaluate and <laughs> no tip offs there, but <laughs> well, um, I was like, Whoa, what is the day drop? I, in I, here? I have no information there, but <laughs> let me go Drew, check out the Penn State depth chart. <laughs> if Drew Aller ever wanted to enter the portal, I mean, he would be great at Virginia Tech, but no poaching. Anyways, to get back on track, Grant Wells has been, you know, he, I, I think he's been slightly below my expectations for him, but I don't look at him and say like, the quarterback position is is necessarily like derailing this offense. I think he's hurt it at times, and I think other times he's been fine. Um, I guess I'm waiting for if he has a moment where he starts hitting those deep balls and we start sing- we start singing his praises. But um, until then, like I think you got to fix the other things, and then you take a look at him and see if you can improve. You know, in the future. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and I mean, that's an excellent point, though. I mean, Virginia Tech's offense has so many issues that it's hard to point to the quarterback and say, it's not like we're a quarterback away. Like, who could you really throw in there? I mean, sure, you threw in Hooker. I mean, even Hooker would struggle. Even Hooker would struggle. You know, Bryce Young would struggle. It's not an ideal situation. Now, Grant Wells obviously could be better, but... I, I feel like he does not need to be crucified until he is truly put in an environment built for him to succeed. You know, it's like it's a one dimensional offense. This is not good at that one dimension. So it's it's kind of where we're at. The other thing is there's no real point to playing Jason Brown. No. Uh, we're on a drive to six as, as the solid verbal guys call it at best a drive to six. The season is always about building for the future, and you're, I mean, Jason Brown's done after this year. I, if 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 it's not going to be remarkably better, distinctly better, you're better off letting Wells, you know, play through it and, and develop as much as he can and evaluate what you want to do at the end of the year, um, where you have you know Wells and Farrell and Bullock coming back uh, potentially next year, and you decide whether you want to dip into the portal or not based on his, you know, full 12 game look at, at Grant Wells. I don't think, I, I don't see the, I don't see the long-term value in going to Jason Brown right now, unless, unless you're in like 
Unless you're in complete win now mode, and it is imperative in Brent Price's eyes to go seven, six and six this year, um, which, like we said, may not even be guaranteed with quarterback switch given the issues elsewhere. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Like what Tay said, you always got to be evaluating your roster and the roster of others. But nonetheless, let's uh, you know we're forty minutes deep into this thing, so let's. Preview North Carolina, I suppose. Doug, seems like kind of the same story as last week, but almost even more of an extreme. A high-flying offense, a pathetic defense. Am I wrong? <laughs> no. Uh, West, West, uh, North Carolina's offense is better than West Virginia's offense, and North Carolina's defense is worse than maybe significantly worse than West Virginia's defense. Um, I can't figure out why North Carolina is not good on defense. I think it is obviously completely because of coaching. Um, I think last last year we were talking about Jay Bateman heading into the first game of the year and said, like, if he, if he can't get this defense playing well, then he's done. Sure enough, he was done. Mac Brown went out and hired his buddy Gene Chizik, who hasn't coached for anybody but North Carolina. He hasn't coached for anybody in five years or six years, and he hasn't coached for anybody but North Carolina in ten years. Um, I think he was there for two years under Fedora, uh, but like very uninspiring. You know, Dre Bly gets a lot of credit for recruiting, but I'm not sure he can coach a cornerback to save his life. Um, Storm Duck and Tony Grimes have not. You know, they're the number three and number four worst cornerbacks in in the ACC, um, worst cover corners. Um, I mean, this is it's a it's been a mess. This North Carolina defense has been a mess for two, maybe three years, going back to when Tech put uh, what was it, forty one on them or forty three on that six overtime game. Like, I I can't figure out why they're bad. It's got to be coaching because they certainly have the athletes to do it. Um, that's what gives you hope, I think, in this game if you're Virginia Tech. Like maybe they have finally met the defense that is so bad that like this like they can have success against them. You know, they don't get into the backfield very much. Like they I feel have, like I feel like that would have been Wofford. I don't know. I feel like that would have been Wofford. <laughs> I don't know. Those terriers can get after you. Um but like you know, it's a bad defense getting into the backfield, stopping the run, defending the pass. They overrun tackles. Like an unbelievable amount. Um, you know, Notre Dame's offense was struggling mightily coming into that one. Um, I think they were on their second quarterback, Drew Pine, who hadn't done anything, and they threw, you know, I think it was 289 passing, 287 rushing on them. Like, this is a defense in despair, and it's exactly what Virginia Tech's offense needs to see right now. So, I, you know, that's that's the positive. Look, coming into this game for Virginia Tech is that they – like as bad as their offense has been, like there's a chance for them to move the ball and score some touchdowns on this defense. Um, that's that's just a fact based on how bad it is. Yeah. Also looking at their defense, looking at total defense, they're 126th out of 131. Andrew, I'll give you a little spotlight here. Can you guess what team is 127th power five team? 127th power five team in related total- to you. Total defense. You love you love going on their radio. 
Oh, the Huskers. We should have just left them out to dry and see, see how long it took. See how long it would have taken. No. I mean, the Huskers yeah. didn't allow like 45 points to Georgia Southern and 60 yeah. points to Oklahoma. So it's believable. Right. And, and this is a North Carolina team that, you know, is allowing 6.43 yards per play. They've given up 21 touchdowns, allowing nearly 500 yards per game. Uh, and, and it's not like they're playing like these behemoths to start the season. Like they're playing FAMU, Appalachian State, Georgia State, and then Notre Dame, as Doug mentioned, was really, really struggling offensively. So um, as we'll get on with, with this preview, I know there's a lot to like about North Carolina's, but I'm tempted to use the F word here and call them a fraud. I think I think they're a pretty fraudulent team. I think their defense, like, it can't get much worse based on the competition they've played, and I think their offense is a little inflated based on, on their schedule as well. So, Doug, a, a guy from my neck of the woods here, Myers Park alumni Drake May now at the helm for the Tar Heels, you know, former top 100 overall recruit, nationally top 10 quarterback, the numbers so far so good, but as Mateus suggests, those could be a tad inflated. Where does he stand in the plethora of quarterbacks that Virginia Tech's going to see this season? And same question, but just accounting for his weapons as a whole. I guess I'm a little higher on Drake May than Mateus. I think he's a really good quarterback, one of the best Virginia Tech's going to face all year, one of the best in the conference. If not the best, um, immediate impact guy taking over for Sam Howell. Um, you know, his, his brother, Luke May, played 43 years for the Tar Heels on the basketball court. Um, I think he just retired recently, but, uh, you know, he's a pure quarterback. Everything he does shows confidence, knows what he's doing, moves really well in the pocket and, and throws, you know, accurately down the field. I think. I think he's the number I think he's the best downfield I forget what I wrote in my preview but he's the best downfield passer in the ACC one of the top few in the in the power five at least um you know he's he's definitely changed where he's he's answered the question of who's replacing Sam Howell and he's teed up you know I, I wrote this in the preview but like Mac Brown's 71 years old and things clearly aren't going as well as they had hoped, given their recruiting successes over the last few years. But, like, this is going to be a really attractive job um, when Mac Brown hangs it up for, for you know, there's plenty of talent on paper based on recruiting classes, but they have a quarterback. Like, Drake May's the quarterback for the next two years, three years, um, and he's a guy that can make all the throws and is going to be a real problem for Virginia Tech, I think. You know, we haven't gotten into the weather, obviously, yet in the in the potential for rain, which could dampen uh, North Carolina's ability to throw the ball a little bit, but and limit kind of their 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 biggest pro, I would say, against Virginia Tech is their ability to throw the ball. If, the, if it's raining, they probably can't do that as well. But if the rain doesn't make an impact, you know, he's you know him and Josh Downs and a you know they have a host of really good pass catchers. Um, Downs gets all the attention, but they have like three or four really talented wide receivers and three really talented tight ends um, that that are going to be 
I think it's the deepest pass pass catching group, deepest set of playmakers that Virginia Tech has faced this year. You know, like um, Boston College had basically Zay Flowers, and that was it. Um, we talked about Bryce Ford Wheaton and C.J. Donaldson last week. Um, a little bit of prey there for West Virginia, but this is like four or five deep at wide receiver, three deep at tight end. And, you know, they haven't been happy with the running back room and the production. They play four, but they all seem pretty, they, they seem good enough if they can just get them going. Um, I think they sh- they're struggling a little bit on the offensive line and that's holding them back, particularly on the run. But going back to May, like we, we just throw the ball instead if they're never going to run the ball. Um, so I, I think he's the, He's the guy to focus on and the guy that Virginia Tech needs to like the if the rain is not a factor, the only way that Virginia Tech wins this game is if they harass Drake May like they did Jerkovic, which is possible. The UNC offensive line is number two in quarterback pressures this year is Jerkovic, number three is Drake May so far. So like whereas Virginia Tech could not get to JT Daniels last last week and he was pretty darn comfortable back there, you know, I think there's a better chance that Tech can get to May and make a make an impact. Do you think the rain has the potential to be the great equalizer, though, Matei? I mean, if it's pouring down rain, that's helped Virginia Tech in the past. It's helped, yeah, it's helped Virginia Tech in the past. In Chapel Hill, nonetheless, uh, really run away with one. Tech can't really run the ball. So, what did you hope? It's like a mud fight. Hope to come out on top. At at that point, yeah. I mean, I was at that game, Hurricane Matthew game. Now we have Hurricane Ian coming up. I think the rain will play a big factor, and I'm not going to walk back on saying the F word, calling them fraudulent, but, you know, Drake, I'm not, I'm never going to question the talent. Like, Drake May is an incredible quarterback. The rain will undoubtedly affect his afternoon, not to mention we, we talked about, you know, the Virginia Tech pass defense has been pretty good. What's even better than their pass defense has been their rush defense. And looking at North Carolina, like, I'm not convinced – like I think they're rated the number eight offense uh, in in the country, and I think that's that's where I'm saying it's a stretch. Like I don't I don't trust their offensive line to be you know of that caliber. I don't think they have the running game to do it. And I think if you know the weather is coming down, and you know this becomes an all out mud fight as you mentioned, like it's it's not a very gritty team. It's it's a team that kind of relies on Drake May to shore up their deficiencies. They have a host of great wide receivers, but if it's raining all afternoon, you're going to have to pound the rock. Like I have more faith that Virginia Tech's defense can, can slow them down. And, um, you know, we don't know like the severity, how much is it going to rain? Like how much will it affect uh, Drake May? But we saw the last time, you know, Hurricane Matthew, what was it? 34 to three, like Mitch Trubisky, the number two overall pick in the draft was held to like 40 something yards and had two interceptions. Like it's definitely going to play a factor. And I think that's like, if this game were, you know, played last Thursday, like inside lane stadium, I'd worry about Drake may going for 300 yards. Um, But in the rain and Chapel Hill, like there's a lot of factors. And I just don't think that, you know, the offense is balanced enough to to maintain their their top ten efficiency, like their their scoring, I think you know the rain will definitely play play a factor. And the fact that I'm not impressed at all by the running game, um, 
I think is a, is a huge boost to Virginia Tech on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, the rain, assuming it rains some, if it doesn't rain, you know, basically what we're saying is if it doesn't rain as much or it doesn't have that much of an impact, like Virginia Tech's at a real disadvantage here. Um, but if it does and you're taking, you know, the thing that North Carolina has a clear advantage of and bringing it back down to like Virginia, closer to Virginia Tech's level, that's, that's a big plus on Virginia Tech's side. So, you know, I think that's what you're, what you're looking at and certainly if you're hoping for Virginia Tech to win that's what that's what you got to be looking for is bring on the rain um as safely as possible and, and make make it as muddy as possible like i in my preview i mentioned the you know that you guys were talking about the 34 to 3 game tech or tech over north carolina that same day NC state played notre dame in an absolute mud bowl and it was 10 to 3 was the final like that's so I don't. I don't think anybody wants to watch wants to watch a game as you know muddy as that. But that's the kind of impact that it feels like Virginia Tech's. The Virginia Tech needs the rain to have to to slow down um, May and North Carolina's wide receivers. What an enthralling preview! <laughs> Pray for rain. Pray for rain. That's what it comes down. Just like the farmers in Southside Virginia. <laughs> do all summer long. Pray for the rain and maybe the the crop that is the percentage chance of Virginia Tech victory will grow. Hey, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes it rains. That's what that's what you gotta hope for that's here. That's true. Yeah. Gotta hope for rain. Uh but okay, outside of the rain, any chance for Virginia Tech? Like what's the roadmap to victory? They have to find a way to run the ball. We've seen, we've now seen four weeks of Virginia Tech without a running game cannot score enough points. Uh, particularly against Matei thinks the offense is a little fraudulent. If they're not a top 10 offense, they're probably a top 30 or 40 offense, which is plenty to beat Virginia Tech as they are right now without a ground game. Um, North Carolina, like we said, their defense is a, is what Virginia Tech needs to see this week. So maybe this is the week they put it all together and, and get some. Get some production. Maybe Malachi Thomas comes back this week and gives a big boost. Um, you know, North Carolina's success rate on defense they, is is fifty percent, which is an atrocious number. Of, you know, every other play, the offense does what they wanted to do against them, basically. Um, so, not a better defense to get the offensive to get the rushing attack back on track. But you know, without that, I don't see how. You know, we said. Bryce Ford Wheaton was probably going to get his. We said Zay Flowers was probably going to get his. Like, they're going to make some big plays. North Carolina's do the same. Josh Downs is going to, you know, assuming he's healthy. He's missed two games this year. But assuming he's healthy, he's going to get his at some point. And somebody else is probably going to get 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 theirs as well um, on North Carolina's offense. Like, I think this is the exact same thing. Can Virginia Tech, can, can they get to 30 points? Um I don't think anybody can have any confidence of that happening at this point. Um, but if they do, it'll be because the running game takes two or three steps forward this week um, against, you know, a very, very bad North Carolina defense. Yeah, and I think for Virginia Tech, I'm mainly looking at their offense in terms of corrections. Like, I, I think the defense will put in a similar effort we saw last week 
as long as the penalties aren't mounting up, as long as there's not, you know, a slew of turnovers. Um, I think, you know, this offense just, it, it needs to find more. Like, Keyshawn King, if he has six carries for 10 yards or whatever it was against West Virginia, like, there's no chance. Like, you got to feature him. You got to find a way to run the ball and, and make sure you're getting at least three yards per carry. And then just, you know, looking at the weapons um, outside Caleb Smith, like we heard so much about Connor Blumrick and unironically, like I, I know I'm always hyping him up, but, you know, this is a situation where you need to get this guy the ball, whether it's, you know, putting him in the backfield and handing it off to him or, you know, finding ways to give him a bubble screen, um, you know, find ways to generate, you know, four to five yards. So many times I feel like I'm, I'm watching this Virginia Tech offense run 20 seconds off the clock and it's third and eight. Like they need to start getting ahead of the chains, like making these plays where, you know, they're not falling behind, not having these one yard runs. Obviously, like a lot of it goes to the offensive line and getting better. But this North Carolina defense, like this is the week to become better. This is the week that we should see like the best capabilities of this Virginia Tech offense. Like it's, it's, it's only getting harder from here. This is outside of Wofford, the easiest test for this Virginia Tech offense. Um, find a way to establish the run, find a way to make it dirty and, you know, get your guys involved. Um, I, I feel like we've seen big plays out of Christian Moss and Jaden Blue, but haven't done it consistently enough. Like Connor Blumrick isn't getting the ball enough. It's, there's a lot of mouths there and I, I get they're not of the caliber of North Carolina's talent, but you got to feed those mouths and, and, and start making plays. Like this is the defense to do it against. All right, gentlemen, score predictions. Let's hear them. I'm going to stick pretty consistent with what I've been going with. I don't think Virginia Tech can get the 30. I do think North Carolina can get the 30, assuming it's not, a, a mud a mud fight is that what we called it earlier we called it a mud fight a mud fight assuming the rain doesn't make it a mud fight um i think it's going to be like 34 to 17 i can i can i caveat this can i say like if the weather is as no, bad as okay give us give us some flexibility hold on i didn't get to do that well you can always, if you want to go again i mean all right go ahead. go ahead okay okay i think if if the weather is as bad as we think it's going to be and impacts this game. Like I, I see Virginia tech actually winning this game. And I know that, you know, that's crazy based off last week, whatever. I can't drop the F word and then, you know, not back it up. I think it's a 20 to 17 type of game. I feel more comfortable in a sloppy game where, you know, Virginia tech can, you know, potentially put in a Blumrick in some running situations. Grant Wells has shown the ability even if it's, you know, not fantastic, he has shown the ability that he can run the ball. Um, I think Virginia Tech's offensive line is going to get a boost simply by playing like this horrendous UNC defense. I think, you know, whether it's a field position game, whatever, like Will Ross has shown that he's been consistent this year and can win you some close games if you're relying on field goal kicking. So if it is that type of game, I actually have more comfort that Virginia Tech can win. Um, if the elements aren't in Virginia Tech's favor, um, and maybe Drake, Drake May makes me, you know, 
eat my words. I, I think he, he will make some plays. And I think it's kind of the same story. If they're able to, to find a way, like if it's an even game and all of a sudden UNC has that big play where, you know, Drake may throws it, you know, 80 yards for a touchdown out of nowhere. Like that's where I get concerned about Virginia Tech's offense, like keeping, keeping pace. So I do see them having some big plays if mother nature is not a factor in here. Um, it, and from that perspective, I would say like a, a 31 to 17 type of game. But I think, you know, regardless whether or not, if Virginia Tech cannot score 20 points against this, like I cannot, I cannot state how bad this defense is. Virginia Tech, if they cannot score 20 points in this game, like it's going to be really, really rough for the rest of the season. I don't know. Did they <laughs> score 30 points? Oh, here comes pessimistic. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, right after optimistic. I will not say I, I don't see them scoring 30 points. If there's defense to do it against, it's this one. Um, but I will not predict them to do that unless they can they can prove it themselves. Well, I'm certainly not going to predict them to do that. I'm right <laughs> there with Doug. Like 35, 17. Just stick it with the same score as last week. Yeah, he's just gonna roll that out again. It was it was about correct. He's gonna roll that out every week. You have a a high flying offense. Maybe Virginia Tech is slowing down a little bit. Probably the best defense that North Carolina's faced so far. Maybe Notre Dame's defense is better. They're not really the problem down there in South Bend, but it's just so uninspiring. Can't run the ball. Third need every time. They know exactly what you're gonna do. You get an inaccurate quarterback with not so great receivers. You get what you get. If it rains, ten nothing, North Carolina. <laughs> well, Ross doesn't even contribute. Yeah. Safety, safety touchdown, missed field goal. So the ten points we scored. <laughs> all right. Well, what else do we have to talk about? Nebraska didn't play, so we've spared you all. Uh, They've got Indiana this week. They do, and they're favored, believe it what? or not. Yeah. Is Indiana that bad? Guess so. Uh, last week, two overtimes for Clemson to beat Wake Forest. Quick hot take. What does this say more of? Wake Forest is for real or Clemson's frauds? Wake's for real. For real. <laughs> Wake's for, for real. Wake for real. <laughs> Wake is for real. I mean, like, I, they have a, they have the, probably the best. You know, other than Drake May, obviously, Sam Hartman is that's that's what happens. You can bring in quarterback back for three years and to run a system as well as he runs it like they're for real. As bad as DJ Uglielele has been, like, I think that was his coming out, his coming out party. Like he unfortunately took the wake defense and Nick Anderson who earned a scholarship after three interceptions against Hendon Hooker <laughs> a couple of years back. But is he the last guy to pick off Hendon Hooker? He might Probably. be at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I think, uh, yeah, unfortunately, Clemson has a bit of confidence after that. I'm, I wanted Wake to pull that one out. I mean, that was that was tough, but Wake is still a, a very real threat. I mean, any team in the Atlantic would, would pummel. Any team not named Clemson would – probably pummel anyone and Boston College while I'm all over the place here (laughs) would probably pummel anyone in the ACC Coastal right now 
Fair evaluation. Do you know who else pummels teams in the ACC Coastal? Middle Tennessee. I was right about that one, too, by the way. So they covered. They more than covered. They the like Blue it. Raiders. Rick Stockstill. That's why you extend Rick Stockstill. <laughs> it's a reference like every episode. <laughs> it's Don't. him. This is a Nebraska Rick Stockstill and uh, Duke Kansas um, podcast. But we'll get right to that. Kansas beats Duke. 35-27, so Kansas does not cover their 7.5-point spread. Biggest notes. Uh, Kansas seems to be for real. Are we now officially saying that Duke, you know, very well might win this ACC Coastal? <laughs> I'm not saying that. But Are we going to fire Babcock in two I, years I, because he hired Pry instead of Mike Elko? I, I, know, I know I was saying it in our, in our group chat, but I really do – feel like Virginia Tech has a better chance against UNC than they do against Duke. Like, I think Duke was that game that everyone kind of circles and they're like, oh, they're rebuilding, whatever. I think right now they're probably the most consistent ACC Coastal team. That's not saying much through four games, but in in terms of how everyone's looking, like, I'm probably most threatened by Duke right now, which is a crazy thing to say as of today. Do you well, think- the only thing consistent about the ACC Coastal over the uh, you know, the course of the last 10 years has been mediocrity. It's consistently mediocre. So, hey, Duke's got a shot. Doug, what do you think? Uh, I'm still on the fence about Duke. Um, I, I loved them over three and a half wins, and they're at three and one now. But, you know, who knows how the rest of the season goes. Yeah, UVA this week. I- I'm sure they're favored in that one, especially at home at Wallace Wade. Um, I'm kind of looking at October 15th. They play UNC. If the next couple weeks don't go Mac Brown's way and he loses to Duke, does he announce his retirement that Monday? That this is his last year? Very well, Mike. Very well, Mike. All right, next question. And probably the last one here. Doug Bowman, Matej Sis, you guys have been hired. You're the next head coach of Georgia Tech. Who are you hiring? They better call Dion. I think so, too. Although, well, I guess he can't. I mean, I guess Norvell has solidified his his job at Florida State so far. That's always the job that Dion's probably going to take eventually. But, you know, I think that... You know, I guess you could go up to Georgia and get Monken, the offensive coordinator, and hope that you can replicate what your rivals are doing. But I think they need they need a splash, especially in Atlanta, in Georgia, very talent rich high school state, right? You know, right above Florida, like they should be able to get some players. Um, that's who I w- I would hire if I was them. I would hire Deion Sanders in a heartbeat. Uh, there's a coach at Middle Tennessee State. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. Rick Stockstill, baby, again. <laughs> no, no, no. But maybe that was what was happening. They heard that Georgia Tech was sniffing around and they upped his buyout. While the P5s slept, Rick Stockstill just kept developing and developing and developing a program in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. That Does that mean Tech struggling with them last year was not that bad? Maybe we should reconsider firing one day. 
Wasn't it? Actually, no. George's actually higher for Monday. Hire Paul Johnson back, actually. Again. I was going to say that, actually. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It wasn't that broke. They were like three years removed from being major contenders. They did the breaking. All those chop blocks to the kneecaps, like, they were the breakers. Tech couldn't beat them. (laughs) I couldn't stand watching those games. Like, all he did was win. He won at uh, Navy. He won a national championship in the FCS at Georgia Southern. Oh, I, I know he wins, but it's not fun to watch. <laughs> it's brutal. I would love to play as a quarterback in the triple option. We played a triple option team in high school. They had me run the scout team quarterback. But I think that's just because like, they were most willing to allow me to get injured kind of thing. But uh... You're like Trey Gresh was the walk-on quarterback who always got the run scout team. Georgia Tech week and he'd get the story written about him like you know who's who's the guy doing the scout team Georgia Tech quarterback this week it's always Trey Gresh it's still Trey Gresh I yeah think. Mike Mike Nizalik was eating that up but now he's eating uh yeah. skyline, chili. skyline chili exactly <laughs> and on that note my friends thank you for listening to Inside the Tunnel VT Scoop 24-7 Sports Andrew Alex Doug Bowman Tate says Evan Watkins we never even announced the fact that he wasn't here, but yeah, he wasn't here. Evan is not here. <laughs> <laughs> but he tends to be. He tends to be here. He was in our our meeting with very important suits up in New York telling us how to uh, get decent podcast audio quality. So hopefully, hopefully by this works. point, <laughs> if we didn't, you've probably already stopped listening. If we did, there's also a chance you probably stopped listening. But nonetheless, thanks for sticking around and uh, bearing with us in what was a uh, technically challenging week in the history of this podcast. A challenging week for all things related to Virginia Tech football, except for alcohol sales at Lane Stadium. I'm sure some sort of record was set. But nonetheless, we'll be back next week to recap Virginia Tech and North Carolina, the Hurricane Ian game, or maybe not. We'll see. Will it be terrible? Some say so. Will it be surprisingly uh I guess a cause Somewhere, for optimism, impre- sort of impressive, some some sort of impressive. I don't know. <laughs> like I me. don't think it could get worse than last week, and we'll recap all of it for you. Until then, my friends, go hope. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.